Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you all here. Glad to be worshiping together. Let's stand and we're going to sing. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Faith Bible Church on this 
Beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Seth Brown. I'm the pastor of Adult Connections. It's really, really good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, on behalf of the church staff and elders, we are thankful that you're here as we gather to worship the Lord together. If you're watching online again with us this morning, we're also glad that you're here uh, joining in with us. It is good uh, wherever we are, wherever God's people gather uh, to worship the Lord together. So a couple of announcements before we continue uh, worshiping the Lord through song this morning. Uh, I'll get right to those. First, as noted in your bulletin, worship times for next Sunday, June the 7th will once again be at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. However, the church staff is still working through some things, and we're still in the process of making decisions on nursery and uh, child care for, eight, for kids' birth through pre-K. And so what we ask from you is that you be uh, watching for an email uh, early in the week. We're going to make those decisions and, and send that out through, through an email and assorted social media uh, channels uh, about if we're going to have child care next Sunday. So just, again, be on the lookout for that. Second, uh, we do have kids camp and middle school camp coming up June 15th through 18th. Both those camps are going to be held at Camp Wow in Gertie, Oklahoma. Gertie in the summertime is a wonderful place, correct, Addie Zander? You've been there lots of times? <laughs> wonderful place, Gertie, Oklahoma. Lovely in the summertime. That, did, that joke did not go as well the second time. Uh, it's okay. Sorry. Uh, anyway, we hope that you will sign your kids up for that if they've come, come through the second grade. If they're in middle school, we'd love to have them at uh, middle school and kids camp coming up in June. If you have questions, you can reach out to Connie Goodson about kids camp and Justin or Addie Zander here for middle school camp. So uh, we'd love for your kids to go do that. Now, as we prepare again to worship the, the Lord in our hearts uh, through singing and through hearing his word preached, uh, I just want us to reflect uh, on the min on, for a minute uh, on the fact that our country right now is in the midst of a very, very trying season. And so I want to pray now for God's justice to be done and be on full display, but as well as his mercy and grace. And so if you will, please pray with me this morning. Father, as Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, your work is perfect. All your ways are just. A faithful God, you are without bias. You are righteous and true. So we, like the prophet Isaiah, wait for you to show us mercy. We trust that you are rising up to show us compassion. For you, Lord, are a just God, and all who wait patiently for you are happy. In this difficult season, Father, we plead for your mercy and we plead for your peace. Pour it down upon our land, Father. Please be gracious to us. We ask for your perfect justice to be on full display, as well as your grace through your kingdom, people, your family, God, that you have here on earth. We ask that you show us in our own hearts, God, uh, the sin that we are holding on to, that have taken hold of us. God, show us the areas of our life where we need to show repentance. And God, help us to rest in the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, help us to be people who reflect you and your goodness and your holiness and your love and everyone that we interact with both today and as we leave this place today. Help us, God, to love as you love and to live in peace with all people. Focus our hearts right now in this moment, Father, on your glory in your praise and on your promises. God, I pray that you would be honored by our time with you this morning. We thank you, God, for loving us and for bringing us into your family and into your kingdom through Jesus' sacrifice and his death and resurrection. We praise you now, God, until eternity. And we look forward to your return, God, and we thank you for Christ. We do pray all of these things in his name. Amen. We do want to magnify and make much of Christ, so let's stand and do that with our voices.
Please be seated. So good to see each of you here. Terrific just to be together this morning. Uh, today we will conclude our study of the book of 2 Peter. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and pull that out. Uh, we're going to be looking at the very end of the book, the last five verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 here in just a moment. Big news this weekend. Yesterday, two American astronauts piloted a privately owned rocket to the International Space Station. I don't know if you saw that. Pretty remarkable. Uh, American astronauts had not been launched into space from U.S. soil in over 10 years, and never has that happened on a privately owned spacecraft. Uh, the week before the launch, Elon Musk tweeted out, Open your eyes, look up to the skies. The founder of the SpaceX program, stealing a line from the rock band Queen, he tweeted, open your eyes, look up to the skies, his way of drawing not-so-subtle attention to this historic event. And I bring that up because a very similar encouragement has been given to believers in 2 Peter chapter 3. In chapter 3, the focus of Peter's final letter shifts from false teachers, which that's his primary concern in chapter 2. It shifts from false teachers to what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. 1,845 verses in your Bible talk about the end of the age. Talk about the events surrounding the day of the Lord and the implications thereof. Almost 2,000 verses in your Bible connect to that day that is coming. And the last two passages that we've studied together have been about this event called the day of the Lord. And wrapped up in that cataclysmic event, you have the second coming of Jesus Christ. You have judgment. There's the destruction and the recreation of all things. And of course, there's the next event on God's prophetic timetable, the rapture of the church, which scripture tells us that event will come like a thief. It'll come without warning. It could literally come at any time. So Peter is encouraging believers in chapter 3, don't listen to the scoffers, don't listen to the false teachers who say Jesus won't fulfill his promises about the future. Don't hear, don't listen to those who say that Jesus will not return. No, no. Open your eyes, look up to the skies. And now you're all singing Bohemian Rhapsody in your head. So to get you back on track, let's pray together. And then I'll read our text for today. Let's go to the Lord. Father, man, we are so grateful today to be gathering in this way. So Lord, we, we, we thank you for uh, this time here together. It's been many weeks that we have not been able to consistently come together. And so uh, we just thank you for being able to do that this morning. And Lord, we also thank you and are grateful that we have the technology that for those who aren't here with us, uh, we can send this out into their homes, uh, and they can join in worship, and they can join in our study uh, of the word uh, today from, from where they live. We thank you for that. Now, God, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray that you would use the Spirit's presence and power to illuminate, to illuminate our hearts and minds, God, to, to bring um, application, um, and Lord, just to drive conviction into our hearts about what's here before us today. Help us as we feast on the scriptures. 
in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look at these last five verses. 2 Peter chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 14. Inspired of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. So before we get into the sermon outline, I want to point out an assumption Peter is making in this passage. So Peter implies or assumes something important about believers, and it's implied or assumed in that little word, since, there in verse 14. Since you look for these things, or as the ESV states it, since you're waiting for these, what Peter is implying is that the believer waits with certain expectation for the events that he has described in the previous 13 verses. All the day of the Lord stuff that we've studied these last two weeks, Peter is saying, because you look for these things to happen, because waiting for Jesus is the posture of your life, here's what I want you to be doing while you wait. I don't want you to just be waiting. I don't want you to only be looking to the skies. Here's what you, to, what, what you are to do while you wait. So waiting isn't passive. The concept of active waiting is something that we should 100% be able to relate to. And what do I mean by that exactly? Well, there was a, a time when waiting was passive. Remember that? When you had to wait to get on an airplane with absolutely nothing to do. When you had to get your car serviced and sit in a tired little sitting area with really bad coffee. When you had to sit in, in the pickup line at your kid's school and all you could really do was fiddle with the radio. When you, when you waited at the doctor and all you had was a three-month-old magazine. Waiting in those days was almost entirely passive. But now we have these. Waiting isn't passive anymore. It's not. While we wait, we, we send emails, we, we make calls, we pay bills, we manage the family schedule, we monitor the weather, we, we listen to a podcast, we shop for groceries, read the latest news, even watch the latest news. Waiting is no longer passive. Peter does not want the Christian to be passive while he or she waits. There are five things in this text that he wants you to be doing why you wait for Jesus to return. These five things make up your outline this morning. They are be diligent, be confident, be loved, be guarded, and be growing. All right, let's first look at be diligent. Second half of verse 14. Be diligent to be found. 
The word translated diligent is used several times by Peter. We see it elsewhere, elsewhere when he says, make every effort. Remember that? Make every effort to make your calling and election sure. That's verse 10 of chapter 1. He also uses it self-referentially in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, I'm going to make every effort. The Apostle Paul uses this word as well. He exhorts Timothy with it when he writes, Make every effort, Timothy, to present yourself before God as a proven worker, not ashamed, teaching accurately the message of the truth. So then back to verse 14. Be diligent. Make every effort to be found by him. Interesting comment, right? To be found by him. And what that means is, there will be nothing hidden on the day Christ returns. There will be nothing overlooked on that day. Everything will be brought to light in the day the Lord Jesus comes. It says in 1 Corinthians 4 that when Jesus comes, he will bring to light the secret things in the innermost recesses of the human heart. Not, not even your motives or the secret things in your heart can hide from him. Jesus is coming, and everyone, everywhere, will be found by him. And since you'll be found by him, you are to be diligent that you're found in peace. And so what does Peter mean by that? That when Jesus comes, we should be found in peace. What's he saying there? Well, it could mean peace with God. It could mean that he would find us in a relationship of peace with God. But, but then again, Peter is writing to believers, and what we know about believers is that believers had, have made peace with God through their trust in Jesus Christ. You don't need to be at peace with God when you already are. It's also possible that he could mean for you to be at peace with other believers, that when Jesus comes and he sets up his glorious kingdom, you should want to be found living peacefully or peaceably with each other. You should be in the peace of Christian love, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Paul describes this. So this is peace with men, but I don't think that's quite the right interpretation of this either. I think what he's saying here is that you be found enjoying the peace of God. This is personal peace of mind. This is the peace that comes from a strong faith in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, we read those words that are so worth remembering, where Paul says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Peter is talking about that kind of peace. The peace that guards the heart and guards the mind. The kind of peace that sets us free from anxiety, free from fear. The kind of peace that is not anxious for Christ to come for fear that he will discover our sinfulness and our shame. The kind of peace that knows no fear regarding judgment, no fear about world conditions or pandemics or, or whatever else because the peace of God is so enjoyed. Being found at peace means you have a strong sense of the reality of your Christian faith 
and so you will not be ashamed at the Lord's coming. The companions to this peaceful assurance are the traits that he lists alongside, spotless and blameless. Spotless is how God sees you because you've trusted in Christ and you've been given his perfect righteousness in Christ, you are spotless. Blameless is how the world sees you because you're in Christ, you are being conformed to his likeness, which, which results in you living a life above reproach. In chapter 2 of 2 Peter, Peter described the false teachers as a spot and a blemish. Conversely, he calls believers here to be spotless and blameless. In chapter 3, Peter's been explaining how when Jesus comes in righteousness to reign, and since righteousness is the only thing that's going to survive in this world, it's therefore imperative that believers lead righteous lives. So knowing that, is there a diligence of heart in you that seeks to be found by him spotless and blameless? Is there a diligence that brings peace to your heart and mind so that you look to the Lord's coming with anticipation and not fear? Peter's call to you this morning, make every effort. You guys remember what it was like to go to the gym? <laughs> I haven't been to the gym in like three months. I miss the gym. But there's a guy at the gym that I don't miss, and this guy, or the version of this guy who exists at every gym I've ever been a part of, this is the guy who shows up to work out. He's dressed for a workout. He's got workout clothes on. He brings a bag in with him. He's got a water bottle. He's got gloves. He's got headphones. This guy really looks like he's going to work out, but then he never actually does anything. He warms up a little, he, he, he may search for things to listen to on his headphones, but, but this is the guy that ends up talking nonstop to whoever is at the gym trying to work out. And, and by the time you go to leave, he hasn't done a thing, and, and he does this every single time you see him at the gym. You know this guy? Yeah. Well, some Christians are this way about the Christian life. They show up to church, or they show up to a men's event, or to youth group, and they bring their Bible. They're here, they're present, but, but there's no diligence. They sort of look the part, they know the exercises. They're around all the right classes and equipment and instruction, yet they fail to make any effort toward a life of peace, toward a spotless or blameless life. You know that guy? Well, don't be that guy. Make every effort, not just to get into a building, even as tricky as that is in this current season, but be diligent in how you are found by him. When righteousness comes to reign, will you be practicing righteousness? That's the first thing you do while you wait. Second, be confident. Be confident. As we've talked about in recent weeks, one major aspect of the false teaching that Peter is refuting is the lie that says that Jesus is not going to return. Peter has gone to great lengths to show how and why Jesus will return as he has promised. And here, he repeats an idea similar to what he has told them in uh, verse 9, I believe, of chapter 3. 
And that is the idea that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but he is patient with his return. So in verse 15, we're told to regard the Lord's patience as salvation. And what that means for us is we must not lose confidence that the Lord will return. He promised his first advent, and he came exactly as he said he would. He's promised a return, and he will come exactly as he's said he's going to return. So we can be confident in his promise, not letting his delay in coming diminish our faith in him or our trust in his promises. It was the early reformer John Knox, just a great statement he made. He said, Has not the Lord Jesus carried up our flesh into heaven, and shall he not return? We know that he shall return. But as we wait, we can use his patience as an opportunity to reach more and more people with the gospel, because the very purpose of his delay is for the gospel to advance and save more and more and more people. That's why we count his patience as salvation. The longer he waits, the more people hear and respond in faith to the truth and the message of the gospel. The more people are saved. So as long as the Lord has a people he wants to save, he will be patient. Which means we can hasten his return by taking the gospel to those who need to hear it, and we can do so with confidence knowing that the reason he has yet to return is because he wants those people to hear and know and trust in Jesus. As the great preacher Vance Havner said, we do not have a secret to be hidden, but a story to be heralded. Because you see, desperation doesn't fuel missions and evangelism. We don't do it out of desperation. Confidence does. We are confident Jesus will return. We are confident the Lord wants to save more people or Jesus would have already returned. Therefore, we share the gospel. And in so doing, we hasten his return. And it's at this point here that that Peter now brings up the apostle Paul. I put this in your notes as an excursus which is essentially a a digression. Peter has this brief digression, and so in the sermon, I'm going to take a brief digression with Peter here. And Peter brings this up because, like him, Paul wrote a lot about the second coming. Paul also wrote a lot about the gospel reaching every person in every place. Paul was as confident as anyone about advancing the gospel until Jesus comes. And Peter says, these things I'm writing about... The Apostle Paul, he also wrote about them. And it's sometimes hard to understand what Paul wrote. Peter makes that disclaimer. And it's good to hear Peter make that disclaimer because I read sometimes passages that Paul wrote and get a little bit confused as well. So if the Apostle Peter got confused, I have comfort in that, knowing that that I can get confused at the same time. Because the stuff at the end, the stuff about the end, can be confusing stuff. And that's exactly why the false teachers seize those ideas and they twist those ideas and they do that for their own purposes, their own wicked purposes. Those purposes likely being a message that says Jesus won't actually return in righteousness and because he won't return in righteousness, there's no urgency about holy living or godly conduct or any of that other stuff. 
But rather than go too much further into the false teaching, I want to point out something else Peter says about Paul's writings. Not the fact that they can be confusing, but I want to highlight Peter calling the writing of Paul Scripture. You see that? He says, to their own destruction, they, they distort the writing of Paul just as they do the rest of Scripture. This is no incidental detail. This is not only early evidence that Paul's letters are being collected and circulated and therefore widely known in the early church. It's proof that by the middle of the first century, his letters are esteemed by the early church just as writings were, just at the same level as the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. If you remember when we looked at the end of chapter 1, Peter wrote in verses 20 and 21 of that chapter that Scripture is inspired of God. It's God-breathed. As men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote the words of Scripture. And he, he confirms in those important verses what Paul had claimed for himself. Paul said of his own teachings in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we impart this in words not taught by the wisdom of men, but we impart this through the work of the Spirit. And this is why the Bible stands at the center of the Christian life. This is why the, the pulpit and the teaching of God's Word is central in the church. It's because we really believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We really believe God has revealed Himself to us here. That the, the Scriptures, they stand before us as our guide and over us as our judge and under us as our rock of hope and stability. Therefore, the, the, the clearest sign of a false teacher is someone who seeks to twist the established teaching of Scripture and to do so for his own gain. A false teacher seeks to undercut the authority of the Bible so that he can be an authority unto himself. I could say more on that, but let's move on. Third thing to do while you're waiting, verse 17, this is where Peter then picks up the thought that he had already started before he got a little distracted in writing those words about Paul. Third point is beloved. Three times in the closing passage, Peter uses the word beloved. Twice he calls his audience, the recipients of this letter, his beloved, and once he refers to the Apostle Paul as his beloved brother. So Peter's affection for the church is on par with his affection for his fellow apostle. There are, those are the same terms of endearment used for both. That same term is also used by God the Father in his address of God the Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And I included this as a point in the sermon because in a text full of imperatives, in a text that is very clear and, and straightforward about what you're supposed to do, I wanted to point out that you're also loved for who you are. You're also loved for who you are, not for how well you perform. We all need to be assured of, of that, don't we? Many of you sit here today and, and you're beat up and tired because you've had another very hard week, another bad week of bad news, a week of uncertainty or anxiety, a, a week of tough times with your spouse or a lot of tough news at your workplace. Maybe you, you didn't take every effort to be found at peace with God this week. You were not diligent in living a life without spot or blemish. In fact, 
it, it, was the quite, it, it was quite the opposite this week. You failed again and again and even again. And so if that's you, let me show you this. If you trust in Jesus as your only hope in life and death, Peter calls you beloved. And more than that, Jesus himself calls you beloved. And perhaps no one knew this truth better than the apostle Peter. Peter, you remember, he was this impetuous disciple. Peter, the disciple who was you know, quick to jump out of the boat and walk with Jesus on the water, but then he sank because of a lack of faith. Peter, the one who, who pledged undying allegiance to Jesus, but hours later denied even knowing him. Peter, the one whose hypocrisy got him confronted by Paul because he, Peter, he wasn't living in line with the gospel. Remember that? Peter, who needed to be assured of God's love time and time and time again, he calls you the beloved of God, beloved by God. And he also calls you beloved by him, which is to say you are beloved by the church. You know, if the last three months have showed me anything, they've put in me a longing to be with you, the church. Hopefully you have experienced, like I have, a hunger to be with the body, to be together, to be serving one another and, and hugging one another and laughing with one another. And that hunger is real because this people who together we love Jesus through thick and thin, this is your beloved. This is my beloved. That's who we are to one another. And so whether you are at peace or whether you're struggling mightily, you are loved here and you are wanted here and you're cared for here. There are no super Christians at Faith Bible Church. There are sinners saved by grace and there are sinners saved by grace. Those are the only two categories here. We're all great sinners and we're all in need of a lot of grace. And so remember that as I preach these imperatives to you. I don't want this message to weigh you down with, with, with merit. You don't earn God's love by performing the commands in this passage. Grace is very much opposed to earning. You can't earn grace. God just grants it. Grace is opposed to earning. But at the same time, grace is not opposed to effort. And that, again, is what this, this passage is calling us to as it's telling us to do these things while we wait. Fourth thing, be guarded. Be guarded. Now, the last three months, we have been a people on guard. We wash our hands constantly. We have Purell stashed all over the place. Clorox wipes are guarding us against anything foreign that we bring into the house. We're wearing face masks at the store and in public. We, we have been told to be on guard against this Virus, and so each and every one of us has done our part. Here, Peter says, be on guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Be on guard against the plague of false doctrine. Do you have the same diligent approach to false doctrine and to bad teaching that you do to this communicable disease that we've been up against? And just to switch metaphors, Peter uses a military term when he says be on guard. It's the term for, for taking charge of a post, for, for keeping our eyes peeled for enemy combatants. 
Chuck Swindoll colors in this language when he writes, false teachers sneak up on the church through the dense fog of deception, wearing our uniforms, carrying our weapons, and speaking our language. We must be alert. And we must be alert because the cost of letting your guard down is very, very high. It says that you will fall from your steadfast position if you don't keep your guard. He's not saying you'll lose your salvation, but rather you'll suffer the loss of your sanctification. You'll, you'll stumble backward from the progress you've made in spiritual growth. Recall with me that at the beginning of the letter, Peter lists the virtues that we must develop between faith and love. These are, these are godly habits that make us useful and, and fruitful believers in Christ. And with that command to, to cultivate these habits, there comes a promise. He says, as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And so now, at the close of the book, Peter circles back and acknowledges the possibility of slipping backward or the possibility of losing that stability. And so rather than the unstable causing you instability, look at the fifth thing that you're to be doing while you wait. You're to be growing. All right, let's unpack the final imperative, the final command of the book. What does it mean to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How do we grow in grace? Well, let's first think about what grace is. What is grace? Grace is God showing his kindness and favor to us, even though we don't deserve it. Grace is God showing his kindness and his favor to us, even though we don't deserve it. So then, how do we grow in grace if grace is in God's hands to dispense? Isn't our growing in grace up to God entirely? If, it, if it's undeserved, how do we acquire it? Do, do we acquire it by becoming even more and more undeserving, by rebelling more and sinning more and, and getting, therefore, more grace? No. Paul says no. Shall we keep on sinning that, so that grace may abound? Paul says no. By no means. That's not the answer. I think the answer is we grow in grace, not by becoming actively more undeserving, but by grasping every day how undeserving we already are. Erwin Lutzer, longtime pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, he wrote, you cannot understand who you really are and what grace really is unless you understand sin, specifically your sin. Furthermore, a, a person who has grown in grace what they understand is that, that suffering and pain and loss, all of those horrible things, those things can very often be grace. And I'll just kind of crudely illustrate that point. <clears throat> you, maybe you've planted, you've had extra time this spring, maybe you've planted a garden. Maybe you've been a little more intentional about, about flowers in the flower bed. You know what really makes plants grow? I mean, besides sunlight and moisture, those essential things. Manure, Right? And so my point is, sometimes you have to go through, you know, fill in whatever your preferred word is for manure. Sometimes you have to go through that to really grow. And what you have to believe is that manure is also grace. Is also grace. 
Growing takes grace, grace upon grace, and that grace, it comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes grace is kind, and sometimes grace is brutal. So if you continue to see yourself as undeserving of God's gracious, gracious love, undeserving as his, uh, of his kind mercy, you are going to continue to grow in grace. Gross, grace won't be just what, what saved you. It'll be attached to everything in your life. You're going to see grace everywhere as you grow in grace. And through that, obviously, grace will abound. Peter then says in verse 18, we're also to grow in knowledge. And this point has more obvious handles than growing in grace. How do we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, chiefly by looking to where Christ is revealed, by looking to the Scriptures. Which means your spiritual growth is connected to your increased knowledge of God's Word. Which means at Faith Bible Church, we're going to commit ourselves to, to, to teaching unapologetically the Bible. And the upshot of that commitment is we're going to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in grace, grow in knowledge. It's got to be both. It's got to be both. You know, there are churches that are all grace and no knowledge. Those churches tend to lack seriousness when it comes to doctrine or to discipline. And, you know, in their desire to be loving, they will fail to tell people the truth, which ironically isn't loving at all. And there are churches that are all knowledge and no grace. Those churches tend to be relationally cold and rigid, and they always split over doctrinal minutiae. The, the, the challenge is to keep those two things in balance, grace and knowledge. Grace keeps you tolerant and loving. Knowledge keeps you bold and confident. Grace gives you mercy and compassion. Knowledge gives you discernment and keeps you discriminant. Grace helps you believe and accept. Knowledge helps you rightly question and critique. Grace results in vulnerability and honesty. Knowledge results in stability. So don't buy into the cultural pattern that says you have to be one or the other, gracious or certain. It's not either or. It, it, can, it can and it should be both and. And so this is why Peter puts them together. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to get started in that, to get started in that process of growth, you have to first put your trust in Jesus. You have to transfer your trust from whatever it is you, you put it in, yourself, your own righteousness, your own intellect, your family name, whatever, you have to transfer it from that thing to Jesus Christ. You have to acknowledge that you are in need of his gracious hand. You're in need of his work on the cross where he went for you and shed his own blood so that your sins could be forgiven. If you've never done that, you should do that today. If you're here, if you're at home watching, you should trust in Christ, seek his grace, and then from that day forward, from this day forward, grow in it. Let's conclude by looking at this doxology. Only four of the New Testament's 21 epistles end in a doxology, or, or what's called a glory statement. And 2 Peter is one of them. And so this doxology, these are, these are the final words recorded by the Apostle Peter. 
These are his famous last words, and they're not at all about him. Look what they say. To him be the glory. To him. Not to Peter. Not to us. We, we don't want the glory. There's nothing impressive about us. Nothing glorious about our diligence. Nothing glorious about our confidence or our spiritual growth. What we want as a people is God's glory. The Apostle Peter the Apostle Peter, at a, at a failing moment in his life, he said, I don't know Jesus. And he did it two more times after that. I don't know Jesus. But when he writes 2 Peter, he says, I know Jesus. And he is God, and he is our Savior, and he is the Messiah. And know this, he will return in righteousness. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can look to the skies and, and anticipate and await the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, thank you that we have been given directives as to what we do while we wait for you to fulfill your promise. God, make us a people, a people faithful to these things. Drive these things into our hearts and work them out of our lives. God, if there's anyone here or watching online that has never <clears throat> trusted in Jesus, Lord, I ask that, that through your grace, through the power of the Spirit, you would draw them unto yourself, bring conviction to them, and Lord, bring them to a place where they respond in faith and in trust in your son. God, we thank you for this time that we get to be together. And now as we conclude in song, God, I pray that the posture of our hearts would be the posture that's in the closing words of this, work, of this book, that we are now seeking to give Jesus glory today and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Oh
Again, so great to be together today. I just want to say this to our littlest people who are in the room that aren't very experienced at sitting through the service. Great job today. Uh, I want to say that really to your parents, too. Uh, Great job today. Look for some news this week about how we're going to handle child care and nursery in the weeks to come. Uh, We're still kind of uh, filling out those details, so uh, be sure and look for that. Another thing I want to make you aware of, um, many of you know Ralph Bullard. Ralph uh, passed away uh, earlier um, this spring, but his memorial service is going to be held tomorrow night at First Southern Baptist Church of Dell City uh, at 7 o'clock. Seven of Ralph's children go to Faith Bible, and just a huge swath of his grandchildren are here as well. He's very much a spiritual leader in the Oklahoma City community. Uh, I just want to make mention of that because of the circumstances and and maybe a a lack of um, people knowing uh, about how those arrangements were going to be handled. At the very least, uh, just continue to pray for the Bullard family as they have had this sort of extended time uh, of grief as they look toward this memorial tomorrow night. Um, Again, look for communications about next week's gathering. If you're a guest today, stop by the Welcome Center. Seth is there. He'd love to get you any information about uh, Faith Bible Church if you're looking for a church home. If you have a need, our elders will be down front. We'd be happy to pray with you. Let's look at a bene- the benediction again, in, or the doxology again, in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll use this as our benediction for the morning. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and on to the day of eternity. Amen. Go in his, go in his presence and his peace today. You're, you're dismissed. Amazing answer seems so far away. And not a long story.